Live and in color from the NBC News Radio Broadcasting Studios of KCAA, 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM, located in beautiful Southern California and in parallel from the Turfs Up Radio Studio in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Thanks for tuning in to the Water Zone Show this evening. Did it, Rob? Now you talk. <laughs> I, I, I got disconnected. I was trying to call in and I got disconnected a couple of times. <laughs> I'm freaking out that the show's starting, and I thought the music already played through the intro. So I'm here. Welcome, everybody, <laughs> to the Water Zone from Rob Starr, along with Chris Davey and Ms. Chris Austin. And thanks for joining us today. And sorry about that little technical issue. That was on my end. Nobody else's problem but mine. Uh, and then we all stop laughing here. Uh, so, Mr. Davey, how are you doing today? <laughs> I'm hilarious. I got to pick myself up the floor for the listeners here, you guys, and for just so you know the back story here. Rob got on the show about midway through the intro music. We were wondering where he was, missing in action. Rob, it's good to see you, buddy. We were all set to just throw you under the bus for about 15 minutes. You could have done that. <laughs> um, I was I, I was trying to get get the internet to work and I'm just frustrated to keep, and you have to go through all the things to get to climb onto to teams and all that and it kept rejecting stuff so finally I'm here and I got your I, I got your phone message and I'm trying to just answer you really quickly I'm here and but but anyway I made it so <laughs> hey if you remember my the old uh, who, who's the great host Mike Mike Barron who was the original uh, uh, co-host of the show I remember many times that he'd be called from the freeway and calling from the parking lot that he just came in and the thing. So it happens. <laughs> Stuff happens. Well, we're so. glad you're here, Rob. That's for sure, buddy. I mean, I'm telling you, we, were, we weren't we worried at all. We were thinking, man, we could really go off the rails on this show and talk about oh, well, it. Well, 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 tell you what, I'm going to let you do that. <laughs> you can go ahead and do that. I mean, more off the rails than we usually go? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Everybody had a great week? Oh, yeah, yeah. We, absolutely, absolutely. Chris and I were already we're we're already queuing up what we we're going to talk about and all that stuff. But I th- I think first maybe we should do one of our uh, our very good sponsors, the Irrigation Association. We should do them the justice of giving them a little plug and a PSA because um, you know, are you ready, Rob, for for the largest trade show dedicated to irrigation in the U.S.? I'm ready to go. I'm booked and ready to go. All right, so December 5th through December 9th, Las Vegas, right? 22 Irrigation Show and Education Conference. It'll start that whole week. We'll bring thousands of irrigation professionals all together, one location. New events this year, like Viva Las Vegas Reception, uh, special giveaways for attendees throughout the week. Anybody who's interested in going, it's not too late at all. Register at irrigationshow.org before November 1st to secure the early bird rate. Hope to see everybody there. Rob and I will be there, and we'll be doing the radio show, Water Zone Radio Show, live on that Thursday afternoon. It seems like Las Vegas just keep pulling us back. We just were there for the uh, Water Smart Innovations, uh, and that was sponsored by the AWWA, and both the AWWA and the Irrigation Association are sponsors of the Water Zone. So uh, they're part of the, the family of sponsors that we have, and we're very appreciative of them. They do a great service to everybody in the water industry and the landscape industry and irrigation industry. And the show is one of the best shows that we always attend. Uh, They got um, great technology. Uh, They have a library that you can uh, purchase uh, books 
educational books on landscaping and irrigation. It's uh, it's awesome. So um, anybody that's listening, go check it out at irrigationassociation.org, and uh, it'll be a good thing to do. So, uh, Chris, uh, um, I know you, you you had a busy week doing all kinds of stuff, and, and the reason I know that is because I see all these messages every single day of, of, of your uh, of your blog and and uh, just to tell our people it's the best place to get information it's uh, it's it's a great way to find out what's happening and uh, go to mavensnotebook.com it's a great thing to to have and you get updated and that's what she's going to do for us right now Chris welcome hey welcome and hey you you have to go to Las Vegas huh you you have yeah. to go to Las Vegas I mean, that's a rough life isn't it man well, Vegas your luck. I, I got it. I get this this month and next month is a travel nightmare for, for me. I mean, I'm all over the place. Going to be in, uh, and I have to talk to you about that because I'm going to be in Houston in, in a couple of weeks, and you know, I have to call in on a Thursday. The time difference is a little different. Then I come back to uh, California for a while, and uh, then I come back here. Then I go to Las Vegas. It's just travel, travel, travel. But it's part of the okay. job. Well, I'll tell you what's uh, what's new in the water world today is, uh, or this week is, uh, you know, it's going to be a tough year in Southern California next year if we have another dry, dry year. Um, Metropolitan is kind of looking at their water supplies, and uh, they they don't have um, they have like in theory enough water to cover things next year, but in actuality, it's sort of just not distributed equally among the different regions. And actually, most of the storage is in the Colorado River, and a good chunk of that is uh, sitting in Lake Mead. And if you're paying attention to all the, uh, you know, articles about the Colorado River, it's about leaving water in Lake Mead and in Lake Powell. So the chances are that that they're not going to be able to get a lot of that water that they have in storage. It's just not going to be available uh, due to constraints on the Colorado River for a multitude of reasons. So, uh, and they they said that for the state water project area, dependent areas, these are the areas in metropolitan that the infrastructure is only built to take water from Northern California in those areas. If the state water project allocation, it has to be 40% before they'll get some relief on those uh, on the water restrictions, and 60% then they'll they'll be you know they'll be in good shape if they get 60% uh, allocation. But the chances of that happening are are you know not very very good all indications are it's going to be another dry year and uh, and that's going to have some serious implications so all those other areas that just had milder restrictions that were on the Colorado River are, are going to see increasingly stringent uh, restrictions next year unless and we get a whole lot of precipitation and it has happened before um, you know, we can have a, a big year. We just won't know <laughs> until we get to next spring. So, yeah, it's it's going to be tough for folks down in Southern California, I think, and, and all over California, quite honestly, but I think Southern California in particular. 
affected by by both the California, you know, the watershed in California and the Colorado River and Lower Basin watershed. I mean, would you look, Chris, at the charts, right? And you see them. I know, I, I know you see them. Yeah. So even when we have a good year with with snowpack, um, you can say, hey, the snowpack was, you know, just like it was last year or 90 percent of what it was last year or whatever. But the collect the runoff collection, the wet year runoff collection, if it's if it's as low as it's been in the past three, four, even five years with, you know, with only being about 60, 61 percent of a normal wet year, that's where the real yeah. problems come from. And that's affecting that. 60% numbers not affecting not only uh, Colorado River and Lower Basin, but also the California watershed. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, we're going to be in for some dry, dry times. Uh, you know, we've been having these droughts in these last few years. And what's unusual about these droughts versus even droughts 10 years ago is that uh, the temperatures are much hotter. Um, the average temperatures are much hotter. And actually, when you look at the numbers, it, it sounds, you know, it's only two degrees averagely hotter, say. And, you know, I think a lot of people just say, oh, well, two degrees hotter, you know, I'll just crank down my air conditioning some more. But it's, it's, that's actually a significant change for the natural systems and the way plants are going to take up water and transpire water and and what's going to happen to the soil and and all all these things the heat just that increased heat even just that little bit more um it really affects uh the water demand from the landscape and creates you know soil deficits that are going to want you know going to need water to be fulfilled before it's going to run off so, you know, it's um, definitely some dry times ahead. And, uh, you know, well, hopefully we'll we'll get wet. So let's not be all doomsday, you know, at this point. But but everyone needs to be conscious of their water use. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead, Robert. Well, no, no. Do you, do you think, I mean, I've started to see increases in pricing for water here out in Arizona, even with bottled products, for example, uh, a bottle of uh, a, a gallon of these of, of, of uh, water, um, distilled water, from eighty cents to a dollar forty nine. Well, and, and, I don't and know. The, and, the, and the water bill, the regular water bill, has gone up as well. Well, I I don't know if uh, that increase is is due to drought or if it's more just due to general inflation. I, we went to the store today and the prices are jaw dropping. Um, on some of these food items. Um, and, you know, in reality, bottled water plants don't use that much water, um, especially if you're, if you're in, in town and you're doing municipal, using municipal water and doing bottling, you know, those, those are pretty low, uh, believe it or not, low water use in compared to the whole region. Um, it's, you know, when when they're up in the mountains bottling water in small towns and taking their water away, those are definitely more contentious bottling plants. But but I mean, overall, uh, especially for water plants that are you know in towns and using municipal water, the, the, the bottled water is uh, it, it provides jobs. You know, it's it's an industry, 
And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not one for like banning things. I do think that, uh, that if you don't need to drink a water out of a bottle, you don't, you know, like if you're buying flats of, you know, 24 packs of water and tossing bottled waters around when you could be drinking out of a cup from your own faucet or your own refrigerator. I mean, those are the things, uh, those are the places where I think we don't need to use bottled water. I hope that people would rethink whether they're going to use bottled water in that circumstance. But sometimes when I'm out driving around and I'm thirsty, what I want is water. And if I go into AMPM and I buy a bottle of water, I, you know, that's that's useful to me. So, you know, that's sort of where I sit on the whole bottled water controversy. And, you know, as we get further into drought, then I suppose, you know, last last drought, we had some folks that pointed at bottled water plants like in Sacramento and were they were very, very concerned about that. But, um, you know, bottled water is a... a in those instances, it's not, um, I don't think it's, you know, it's a big deal. Uh, I agree. Hey, Chris, let me see if yeah. I can, let me see if I can pivot around here. What's happening with Spice Reservoir? Oh, my word. Well, they, the Spice Reservoir got some more federal funding. I think it's out of the Inflation Reduction Act, possibly. Um or it might have been the Bipartisan Infrastructure Act. I don't know. There's like two of those programs going. It's it's out. It came from the feds at any rate. And yeah, they've got. They actually invested in in four surface storage uh, projects. I always forget one. There was Sites Reservoir, um, Los Vaqueros Expansion Project, which is raising increasing the size of Los Vaqueros and the Sisk Dam enlargement, which is the San Luis Reservoir outside of Patterson, and I thought there was one more. Anyways, they they invested uh, federal funds, and so yeah, Sites Reservoir is it's moving on. It's uh, um, you know they have a lot of support for that reservoir up in Northern California, and yeah. they have uh, people willing to buy the water and to invest in that in that reservoir. And it's an off-stream reservoir, so that means it's not blocking a river. It's not across a river, and so it's not interfering with species. Um, the people in the area where they want to build the dam are fine with, uh, you know, fine with the the dam being built there. Their property will is going to end up underwater, but they they see that. They see it as an important thing for the state. So, you know, it's um, the, there is opposition to this reservoir. Uh, environmentalists don't like it. Uh, they don't think that there's water to put into it. Um, they just think it's going to be unused and, you know, not much water in it at any point. Um, you know, and I guess in a sense, it's hard to know. But uh, the way it looks like our hydrology is going these days, we get these big storm events like like we did last year. We had like uh, in October, we had some atmospheric rivers come through and then we had another set of big storms in December. And those when 
when the rain is really coming down hard like that, there's uh, the rivers are running very, very high. And these are the points that a reservoir like Sites Reservoir would draw water from those high high yield events, you know, what the high rain events. So that's where they're planning on getting their water from, and it will be pumped up into that reservoir and then released when it's needed. So there's a lot of support for that reservoir, and um, you know, I I think it is going to get built. There's there is opposition from the environmentalists. There's also opposition from the tribes, but uh, but I think there's a lot of momentum going there for that particular project. Um, the other one that's moving forward is the uh, Los Vaqueros Reservoir expansion, which is in the East Bay, um, and they're raising that uh, reservoir one more time. They've already raised it once. They built it, raised it once. This will be the final raise, and they they built it. Uh, all those previous iterations, they you know the intention was at one point if, if they would be raising it to the heights that they're planning on raising it to now. They had this stepped construction idea. So um, so it's been decades in the making, um, but they're getting ready to raise that dam. And, uh, you know, the people at Contra Costa Water District are really, um, they're very progressive. They did a lot of outreach. They sold this project to their constituents. Um, you know, and it's an important project for them because it allows them to take water from the Delta when the Delta is fresh and save that uh, in a reservoir versus before they had the reservoir, they just had the intake and they had to take the water quality uh, when they needed water. They got whatever, you know, water quality there was and it wasn't always very good. And so, there, East Bay actually, for a while, had some very notorious bad water, um, but they built that reservoir to sort of solve that problem. And then um, they built the reservoir. They tried to get some of these other uh, water districts around them to invest in the reservoir to get a portion of the water, and most of them said no. Uh, so they, you know, the Contra Costa Water District went ahead and raised it themselves. And then when we got into that last drought, uh, where water was really, really tight, um, these the Contra Costa Water District sold water at cost to these other agencies that, that was delivered from the reservoir that these other agencies didn't want to invest in. So I think they have more investors now for this round. Um, but, the, you know, the, the people at Contra Costa, you know, they, they said to me, um, you know, these are our neighbors. We're not looking to, you know, gouge them. We sold them the water at the cost, you know, at cost. And uh, so, you know, it was kind of nice. It's like, you know, we're look, we're public agencies. We need to get along. We're going to help out our neighbors. So. So that that uh, reservoir is moving along too. Well, I was reading something also on the change of subject, but um, and we had our, our next featured guest talks a little about this and her opinion at the end. But uh, there was an article written by one of your guest people, uh, Robert Shibatani, mm -hmm. <laughs> about does water rights have a future? And he claims not as currently configured. How do you see that? Oh yeah, no, I know what he's talking about. Uh, you know, when when you have 
a water right in California, um, you have to specify a couple of things, like how much you're going to take from that that water body, and um, you have to specify what season you're going to take that water. So there's a you know a, a start date and an end date for when you're going to be able to access that water. Now, historically, there might have always been water there when your date, you know, comes to pass. But in these recent years, with the snow melt that melts out off, out faster, uh, you know, you may, <laughs> you and I'm sure this is, must have already happened. It's time that you can turn on your pumps and divert the water. But hey, the peak snow snow melt already occurred. And there's not much water left in the river. So, yeah, there's this is really going to interfere with water rights, the way that climate change is occurring around here, where it's putting these, uh, we're getting these higher precipitation events, more extreme precipitation events, um, and and a shorter shorter winter season, a shorter wet season, more compressed. So... You know, it's going to be challenging, no doubt. Yep, yep. I think I think it's going to change a lot over the next couple of years if this if the drought keeps coming and coming and uh, takes more effect on on uh, not only on the west but all over. So that's uh, that's my prediction. Yeah, and water rights. You know, a lot of these water rights were established in the late 1800s and the early 1900s, and um, you know, conditions were very different then, but, uh, you know, this isn't the 19th century anymore. This isn't the 20th century. It's the 21st century, and things are changing uh, rapidly. And, you know, I just don't know how much longer we're going to be able to honor uh, water rights in a system where, you know, junior appropriators get cut off before the senior appropriators get cut off, and so if you only you have one senior appropriator and he's and his, his diversion is you know whatever is available in the river, he gets all the water and everybody else doesn't. And you know that that probably worked great back in the you know in the twentieth century, but now we're coming up. These, I mean, when you start talking about the people that aren't getting water, well, some of those are cities. Entire cities are not getting, you know, theoretically not going to get any water. So I, you know, I just don't see how um, these. I mean, we're going to have to make some changes. They're going to be hard. They're going to be. There's going to be litigation and a lot of fights, but. Um, I think we're going to have to make some moves because if we don't, then nature, well, nature's going to do it for us. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of that, I got I can't let you go, Chris, without asking you about this term that came up. I think there's a new term being coined Uh-oh. in the, <laughs> it's called the arc storm, right? This is the second time I saw it. I saw it on your blog. This week. Oh yeah. Yeah. Some yeah. Sort of a catastrophic, you know, thing, you know, that calls, biblical kind of, you know, thoughts to mind, right? Calls calls them to mind. I mean, um, yeah, it's, it, you know, it's, it's happened it before, and they say it's going to happen again in the next, I mean, it's going to be rain 
that that just never ends. And it happened in 1860 and 1861, and the whole Central Valley was flooded. And you know, there's the very famous story of the governor that got uh, you know inaugurated from by a boat in front of the you know drowned Sacramento capital. Uh, it's happened before. And, you know, the other thing that we don't really talk about, I mean, we talk about flood risk in the Central Valley, and we all know about that. We all know about the levees, but, you know, there's flood risk in Southern California, too. Um, we, you know, we don't really talk about that a lot. You know, a lot of this construction on these alluvial fans and, and what that means when the water comes, you know, roaring out of the mountains. And that same situation of rain that never ends, you know, it could happen in Southern California too, could happen the entire state at the same time. I mean, well, Chris Davey has a kayak, so he's prepared, but we probably got to build something bigger. <laughs> we'll, start, we'll start getting the plans ready. But, Chris, we want to thank you because we've got to turn it over to our commercial break. Uh, we do appreciate you coming on. And for all the listeners, please go to mavensnotebook.com and become a subscriber. Also, become a sponsor. And it's a great way to get uh, the latest in water news updates every single morning uh, when you turn your computer on. And uh, it's an awesome way to, to, to share what. Uh, Chris finds out from all her intimate knowledge and all her secret people she can talk to. So, Chris, thank you very much for joining us, and we will be back with you next week. And we're going to take a little break, and we'll be back in a moment. So, Chris, have a nice week. Good evening, everyone. Take care, Chris. You're on board KCAA's Inland Talk Express. KCAA, Loma Linda, 1050 AM, the station that leaves no listener behind. Water is one of the biggest expenses for communities, HOAs, universities, golf courses, and resorts. So keeping those costs under control, especially when rates are increasing while water supplies are being reduced, are often essential to a customer's survival. Managing water requires multiple skills, which is why it's been complicated and difficult until now. AquaTrack brings multiple skills and technologies together to help large system users conserve outdoor water and improve the health of their landscapes. AquaTrack's professionals are certified landscape water managers and certified landscape irrigation auditors. The company offers audit services, upgrade advice, technical expertise, and water use monitoring. We already manage irrigation water for the largest homeowner associations in Arizona, and we're prepared to bring our knowledge and experience to help others, including landscapers and designers. Give us a call and hear how AquaTrack saved one HOA some 430 million gallons of water and $200,000 in annual water expenses. AquaTrack is Arizona-based, and you can reach us at 623-594-8689. That's 623 623- Five nine four eight six eight nine. Moving up in this industry means getting the most out of each day, so you can focus on growing your business. With Site One, you're in control, and we're here to help. It starts with the right team. Our irrigation pros can help map out a complete, streamlined system that meet any requirements or regulations. And from the first dig to years after install, knowledgeable experts are available in branch or resources are available online to help find solutions specific to your needs. 
Next, we make sure you have the right tools to get the job done with the largest selection of top brands in the industry, bringing the latest in Wi-Fi-enabled controllers, rotors, sprays, valves, and drip components. And because hard work should always be rewarded, you'll receive personalized pricing and earn loyalty points on qualifying purchases to help you grow. You're in control. Site One is here to help. So welcome back to the second half of the Water Zone Show. Hope everybody's having a good afternoon. And again, I apologize for my mistake coming on the show in the beginning. I had some little tech. Well, it's not wasn't technical issues. It was my operational problem uh, that couldn't get onto the show. So apologize that to my co-hosts and anybody listening. And we'll move forward with this. Um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Chris and I were attending an event in the Municipal Water District of Orange County. And we happened to catch up with a, a lady that we had on our show before, who was the commissioner of the U.S. Uh, Bureau of Reclamation. Her name is Susan Berman. And uh, we had a great conversation, follow-up conversation with her. So uh, here we go. Well, we're broadcasting here from the Water Zone from the Grand California Hotel in California next to Disneyland. And we're having a good time. Chris and I are here. And uh, got some important people we want to talk to. But one of the people that uh, we're going to introduce right now has been a previous guest on our show, Miss Brenda Berman. And she was the administrator of the uh, USBR. And uh, I know you've changed your job since then. So maybe give us an update on that and tell us how you've been. We've missed you. <laughs> Well, it's great to be back. Uh, I, I, you were my first podcast. Oh. <laughs> I'd never done a podcast before, and you were so welcoming. It's really nice to be back talking to you. We appreciate both. that. I was commissioner of the Bureau of Reclamation, an incredible organization with a very proud 120-year history. Uh, Reclamation uh, is the agency that's responsible for building Hoover Dam, for building Glen Canyon Dam, for building Grand Coulee Dam, Shasta, Fryan, all that amazing infrastructure we use in the West to have a reliable water supply. Since that time, I have started working with the Central Arizona Project in Arizona. So really, it's like returning home uh, because Arizona has been my home for a long time. I have worked in California and other places as well. I've been Central Arizona Project is responsible for bringing Colorado River water really into the major cities of Arizona and agriculture. Uh, so we bring water to Phoenix, to Tucson, to the agriculture and all the communities in between. Excellent. So are you based in Central Arizona, which is... We're based in Phoenix, uh, but we represent the three-county area. They're oh. really, it's, so it's central and southern Arizona. I'm, I'm in Arizona as well. So Excellent. I'm at the other end, so, but uh, that's nice. So good, to, good to have you as a neighbor. <laughs> Appreciate that. So, you know, a lot, a lot of things have happened since last time you were on the show. Uh, Water is getting obviously more scarce. I know Arizona's worried about a new uh development that's going to be uh, west of me and they're talking use corporation bought a bunch of land they want to put in a hundred thousand homes and so they they went and did a test and said oh well we can we can fulfill this hundred year of water commitment that there's enough water for the rules in arizona right but now they find out that's not really true so they're going to be going and arguing that (laughs) and the city where i live in is the second largest well actually it's the fastest growing city in in the country which is buckeye out of Arizona. So um, we see a lot of growth and stuff, but now we're starting to see things with water and electric and, you know, a little bit of a change. Um, how do you see the future of water 
not only in Arizona, but since you headed up a lot of other things, how, what's your vision of that? What do you see is going to happen in the future here? I, I think the, the folks that went before us, the water managers that were here at the beginning of the last century, they were the ones who banded together and thought about how are we going to make this area thrive, whether that area was Los Angeles yeah. or Phoenix or Los, eventually Las Vegas and all of the great agricultural areas of the Southwest. But they banded together and they worked with the United States to find the capital to build the infrastructure we needed, to make the legal agreements that allowed us to share water without constantly being at war with each other. And I, I look at sort of the grand challenge they had, which is starting with nothing but some rivers that are hard to get to yeah. in flood or feast or famine. And we have an equally challenging prospect ahead of us because I think we have some very difficult years. We realize that there is a lot less water, uh, particularly on the Colorado River system than we expected. And going forward, we're going to have to make some major changes. We've somewhat come to grips with that. Uh, for example, Central Arizona Project will be giving up 592,000 acre feet in 2023. Uh, we're not getting paid for that. That's something we've agreed to as part of past uh, decisions, negotiations, and agreements that we've come to uh, with the seven basin states and with the United States. But that's not enough. Uh, we, looking across the basin, all sectors need to be bringing water to the table, and that's not going to be easy. Uh, I've talked about if the Central Arizona Project can give up 40% of its water in this next year, are other sectors looking at how would they give up 40% of their water? Nothing's going to be easy. I think there are investments we can be making to have more water in the future. But in these next few years, we have very difficult messages we have to bring to our communities. We have very difficult decisions we need to make about rates and the money we're going to have to invest in our own infrastructure. It's not going to be easy. Yeah, one of those messages obviously is conservation. And I know, Brenda, you're here as one of the speakers. You're on a, a panel and a guest here at the Orange County Water Summit. And you answered a question about what is the definition of conservation? What does it what does it really mean? Maybe our listeners who weren't able to hear your answer, maybe you can repeat that answer here because I thought it was very, very directive and in particular, especially the part where you said, hey, we're asking people not to use water and not to sell water and that's conservation in itself. I kind of found that a little bit, you know, hard to listen to, right? So Maybe you can answer, re-answer that question for us. What is the meaning of conservation? We'll see if I say it the same way twice. <laughs> um, but uh, the question was, what is the definition of conservation? And the thing is, uh, as water managers, we use, we talk about a lot of actions and call them conservation. Uh, for example. Uh, Metropolitan Water District, Southern Nevada Water Agency, Central Arizona Project, my organization, and also the state of Arizona, others, the United States, have come together over the last seven, eight, nine years and put money together, pooled our money, in order to often pay farmers not to farm that year. It's temporary, it's voluntary, uh, but it's compensated. I put funding on the table and different people agree not to use their water. We've done that with the Colorado River Indian tribes. We've done that with the Yuma area. We've also done that with cities. 
And that is conservation because less water is being used. Less water will be taken out of Lake Mead when we do that. Uh, we also talk about conservation, sort of the capital C, our environmental responsibilities. And on the Colorado River, uh, the United States and the major water players have funded uh, lots of habitat. We have funded science and monitoring. We have brought back birds that didn't used to use the Colorado River, uh, hadn't used it in a very long time as part of their habitat, as part of their breeding, as part of their ecosystem. Uh, so in many ways, we have brought back habitat. We, have, we are meeting our environmental responsibilities. That's conservation with a capital C. Yeah. Then you also have, you know, do you have leaky pipes? Do you have an earthen canal that you can line? Do, you know, have you invested so that uh, every drop of water you use, whether it's in agriculture or in your own home, is accounted for and used properly? And it's the 21st century. How do we modernize ourselves? That's also conservation. So I don't try and hone down just one particular definition. I think it depends on your context. Uh, but conservation certainly is a term we use to really envelop all of the different things we're trying to do on the river. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I'm amazed at and concerned about is I, 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 we did an a interview with uh, some people from uh, Jackson, Mississippi. Oh. I'm sure you heard what's happening in there. You know, where I, it was the first time that I teared up doing doing a show with Chris. You did, and, and it, it, it's it's about these people uh, who mostly minorities who live far from the processing plant, and they get water maybe once or twice a week. They have to boil it; it's brown. Uh, they have to save it to, to wash the dishes or take a shower or bath or anything like that. And and when they were talking to the state regulators, they say, "Look, we're the capital of your state. How come?" You know, don't you want to fix this? And they said, well, you know, you have to go raise the money to do it. We can't give you all the money. They said, well, how are we going to do it? And I, just, I have a hard time in 2023, 22 and 23 coming up, that people can't get clean water. And, and you know, we have money, and I, I'll, I'll try not to be political because I'm not a political person, but we give a lot of money to other countries to help them, and I think that's a great thing. It's awesome. But... People have a right to have clean water and drinkable water. And it just scares me to death that we're not doing more for that. So it started, it didn't just start with Flint. I, you know, that's what everybody first yeah, thought. Flint, Michigan. Yeah. yeah, but it's all over the place. And California is suffering from and that. And Central Valley in California as well. Yeah. And and um, even, even out in my area, I mean, we have good water, but mostly it was a farming years ago. And they have a lot of uh, salinity in the water. Right. And, and they're looking at some new technology to do uh, inland uh, desal. Uh, some, we had a gentleman on who created this thing, and they're going to do three small little units to help clean up the water. But they just the government just gave the Biden-Harris administration, I think they, what was, we were talking about it yesterday, was it $12 million or $12 million. And, and, and they're, they're going to give portions out to everybody. I said, that's not a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, it sounds... Sounds great if you if they just gave it to you and me to spend. But no, these are billions and billions and trillion dollar problems. Yeah, and I I don't know by taking the twelve million and giving it to ten different ways or organizations, what are they going to accomplish? I mean, it just doesn't seem. I, I guess I, what I would like to see as a citizen is a list from the government saying, here's the water. This is water issues. Here's the top three or the top five, and I'm sure there's thirty on the list. 
but concentrate and get the first top ones done and then move up to the next one. They don't seem to do that. It's, it's, and you came from that world on the side of the government. Is, is that just the normal, just spread it all out or just concentrate, fix some of the major ones and then moving forward after that? Each administration has their own philosophy about how they're going to do that. And so a lot of the programs have been set up by Congress and you have limitations about how you can uh, sort of direct and prioritize your funding. Uh, when I was with the Bureau of Reclamation, we absolutely tried to look at what are our priorities and what can we get done. Uh, so uh, there's one example in uh, South uh, Southern Colorado. There's a number of communities sort of east of Pueblo, southeastern Colorado, uh, that have been on groundwater. Rural communities, small rural communities, maybe about 30 of them. And they have naturally occurring radionucleotides in their water. Uh, so they've used this water, you know, probably a hundred plus years. But yeah, the, the, the EPA has caught up with them, and what what should you know a responsible water supply be? And well, they had a water project that was authorized by John F. Kennedy, and no one had invested in it. It would seem so expensive, and ultimately going to too few people and too spread out, mm. uh, similar to what are a lot of our tribes face. Yeah, you know, very diffused rural area. And so no one invested in it. And what we did at the Bureau of Reclamation is one, we pulled together EPA, uh, Department of Ag has a rural program that actually helps with water. EPA has programs that help people yeah. hook up to a system. Reclamation, our specialty was bringing in a trunk line. Uh, for a long time, the state hadn't been willing to invest. The state of Colorado stepped up to invest. The local community stepped up to invest. And together we started that project that had been sitting on the books for 50 years. That's awesome, that's awesome. Uh, so it, it'll take a while to complete, uh, but there were a lot of smart deals being made with some investing, existing infrastructure that you could hook into. Uh, but there are projects that can fix these things. And you need to figure out, uh, do your cost benefit analysis and uh, look at what can work because people need to be able to pay for their system once it exists. Uh, but there are solutions out there. There are engineering solutions, there are infrastructure solutions, there are ways to do this. Uh, just pivoting to the Colorado River, uh, if, if you're going to be able to help communities treat their water and get it to a place where it's for drinking water and for humans and for your economy, uh, you also need the supply. And that's what we're facing on the Colorado River right now is our supply is falling. How do we make sure all of the communities of the Southwest have enough water? Uh, and then we get to uh, how do you treat it to make sure that it is reaching all the populations that we need to reach? In, in your new role in, in Arizona, do you see the Colorado as one of the biggest challenges, the problems with the Colorado water supply is one of the biggest challenges or are there other things? I'm sure there are other things. Oh, right. I mean, all of our communities are, are facing lots of different issues in the 21st century. I work in water, so I think yeah. I tend to see things yeah. through the lens of water. Uh, the Colorado River is 36% of Arizona's water supply, and it's an incredible issue to us. Uh, we have senior rights along the river. The Central Arizona Project is more junior, uh, but we supply 6 million people. Uh, so in a state that's only 7.2 million people, uh, if your water supply is threatened, that's a big deal. Uh, we are uh, blessed with inland rivers uh, that are not seeing the same level of uh, 
exposure to climate change uh, for whatever reasons those are. Uh, but the studies show that our inland rivers won't be hit as hard. Uh, but the Colorado River is is a shrinking river. And yeah. We need to be able to find ways as neighbors to work with that, uh, to support the six million people in Arizona, to support the two plus million in Las Vegas, and to support the 19 million in Southern California. Yeah, Arizona with with the net increase of people moving there, I mean, it's it's almost like the new Florida, right? A lot of retire retiring people moving to uh, uh, Arizona. Is the state looking at you know how's this? How are we going? How are we going to manage this growth from an energy standpoint, from an infrastructure standpoint, from a water standpoint? Absolutely. And uh, we have so many people moving to Arizona and they're young families. Mm -hmm. And we're facing some of the housing issues that we used to look at California and think they had housing issues. Now our housing is becoming more expensive uh, because of supply chain issues, uh, permitting issues, water issues. Now it's been harder to build. Uh, So we haven't kept up with building in the same way that I, I think we've been able to do in the past. Uh, so we have housing issues, but certainly on the energy side, it's looking at how do, how do you bring in renewables, but if renewables don't work at night, uh, so let's look at Central Arizona Project. It takes a lot of energy to bring water into, uh, basically uh, to pump it uphill over the mountains and to bring it back into Phoenix and then Tucson. Uh, there are some years where we're the largest energy user in the state. Uh, we uh, and our board have been looking at renewables. We have some solar. We've been looking at more solar, but because of supply chain issues, because of um, the costs that have gone up exponentially, I, it's almost impossible to site solar right now. Uh, so how do you back yourself up? We use our Hoover Dam power mm-hmm. to firm our solar. And so we need to be responsible. We need to know, uh, we, can, we have a very uh, flexible system for the Central Arizona Project, so we can actually work with our neighbors in the cities. And when there's peaks, we can lay off pumping so they can have their peak energy needs. Uh, but energy supply is incredibly important. It's incredibly important to the economy, and so is our base water supply. So we're all working through those issues on a lot of different levels. Obviously, different parts of the community have different, uh, they have different energy sources and they have different water sources. Yeah, it was great to see in the state of California because of the, um, because of the energy the hot summer, the heat wave that we just went through, <clears throat> and the state asked for um, conservation, flex alerts, as they as they called them, uh, and it did really well, right? They were saying between 4 o'clock and 9 o'clock, you know, stop using this. People really jumped into that. I mean, Good. you know, they, it went down 10, 12, even in the mid-teens percentage-wise. I remember but, when I lived here, we'd turn yeah. off all the lights in the office. <laughs> yeah, they would do that, and families would, you know, play board games or put candles on and stuff like that to, to spend that time in the uh, uh, in the early evening. So it works when when the agencies ask people to, uh, to you know, pitch in and help. It works. Well, communication helps dramatically yeah. in that. We've seen... Water agency has been very successful in educating the people about about stuff. Could I add, though? Yes. What also helps is siting generation, like being willing to invest in power plants, uh, because I, it's great that everyone can lay off the the supply yeah. when you need to call them to do that. Uh, but to have a thriving economy, we need a reliable energy yeah. supply. Should nuclear be pushed? 
That's so hard to say. I, I, yeah. One of my very good friend's son I, has gone to school for nuclear chemistry, and you hope he has a job, right? Yeah. He, he seems to be employable. Uh, but I, people talk about these small batch plants. That's not my specialty. Right. I don't know how to weigh in on that. Uh, but we need to be able to have a stable, predictable energy I, I supply. Some, some of the people that I know in, in, in government are talking about getting involved with people with, with the water rights that were given out in the 1800s, and they want to redo those or force people to redo them. What do you think? The 100-year-old laws, you know, on plus. Yeah. yeah. So I, I believe in property rights. I, I, I do. And, uh, well, water isn't technically a property right. Uh, it certainly is something that you rely on, you've invested in, that you use. Uh, but I will say we need a change in mindset. Yes. We need to pivot because this isn't a situation we've yeah. faced before. Uh, every sector of the water using committee, uh, community and every sector of the economy needs to be able to put something on the table. I, I agree. But one last thing is where do you see the future of water? Now, knowing that we never collected weather data back hundreds of years ago because they didn't have all the apparatus to do that. And that's what we use tree, tree rings for. Yes, right. Well, that's, that's true. That's true. But if you, if you look at those, there's been cycles in Absolutely. thousands of years. So we go through a drought. We not, then then this drought goes away for 100 years and it's back again. So what do you see as the, as the vision? If you were... The, well, you were a czar of <laughs> water. Uh, how, how do you see the future of water here? Because I know countries do it differently, like Israel and, and things of that sort. People people have a different sense of the value of water. It's like gasoline here. You go fill up your car, and no matter what the price is, you know what it is as you're filling it up. You see the thing going ding, 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 Absolutely. ding. But on your water bill, you don't really get to see that until the month comes up, and then you see the bill. Unless you're now some of these new water agencies have the equipment that you can get online immediately and see, which I think is a great thing so people get that immediate feedback. I mean, that's the that's yep. way I look at it. So how, how do you see the future of water, at least for the next 50 years? Because I won't be here after 50 years. So, but <laughs> I, I see us treating water as much more valuable than mm -hmm. we've had to treat it in, you know, in my lifetime. I, there are investments in recycling. I, Arizona for a long time was on the cutting edge of recycling. Our nuclear power plant, the largest in the country, it uses reclaimed water. Uh, now uh, Southern California is looking at a massive water recycling plant and Arizona has come in and Nevada has come in as investors really in the planning stage in the hope that we can move to a point where uh, Southern California would allow Arizona and Nevada to help invest in the recycling and in turn maybe take some of their Colorado River water. So it can be very expensive for these communities uh, and we're all going to look at paying more for our water. But we need to know where every drop is. We need to know where it's lost. We need to know where it's used. We need to keep reusing it and reusing it and reusing it. Absolutely. Christian, any other 
Final uh, questions? No, uh, Brenda, thanks so much for coming on again. It was awesome to have you here. Good. A surprise, a pleasant surprise for both uh, Rob and I when we found out you were here and you were going to be our first guest. So It's a great surprise thanks for so me, much. too. It's nice to circle back and, oh. and get to see you in person this time, yeah. too. Yeah. And, and, you know, I didn't mention, and I, I know you don't go throwing it out all the time, but you do have a legal background. Yeah. <laughs> I do, stuff, I do. Which is, which is good. I'm glad... I'm glad you were in that position before. I'm glad you're now in Arizona. <laughs> you know, I, I won't bother you. Don't worry, I'm not stalking you. <laughs> but, 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 but I was very excited when I heard that you were, that you were here and then that you would come back and do a little little talk with us. And we do appreciate that. No, thanks for inviting me back. It means I, I must have been okay the first time. You were then, great. Right? <laughs> well, thank you very much. Thanks for thanks, having Brenda. me. Thank you. Pretty neat lady. There, there's no doubt about it, man. I mean, just great to have her on the show again, right? Your new neighbor now, buddy, working for the Central Arizona Project, or CAP, uh, yep. as they call it. But, I mean, just like the other time she was on the, on the show, Rob, the experience, right? The knowledge, the insight, her vision is so uplifting. I mean, her comments about pivoting and changing the mindset and all that stuff. I, that was an awesome interview. I enjoyed every minute of it. Great. Well, you were part of that, and... Like I said at the beginning, or not at the beginning, halfway through, I'm sorry I messed up the beginning by by having my, my problems getting into the show, but that's my fault, not nobody else's. So anyway, you guys would cover it perfectly anyway. Oh, man, we were getting guys like that at the beginning of the show. We were getting ready to take it <laughs> off the rails, Rob. I hear you. I hear you. Well, Chris, you know, it's time for us to head out and uh, get back on next week's show. So one of the things that we always want to tell our wonderful listeners main thing you should do is help keep our planet blue so all right so till next till next time uh everybody enjoy the week be safe have a great weekend and we'll talk to you next week have a good evening KCAA Loma Linda. The Legacy KCAA 1050 AM and Express 106.5 FM. NBC News Radio. I'm Brian Shook. Justice Amy 